This is Anipi Radio, a space for authentic conversations about our path to consciousness as we align with spirit, humanity, and nature. Anipia Radio is founded upon the belief that our most effective contribution to a more peaceful and loving world is for each of us to align with love. Our mission here is to share stories, indigenous wisdom, science, and spiritual practices that will help inspire you on your journey towards peace and consciousness. I hope it serves as a source of depth and joy in your life. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the importance of pain, anger, and empathy. Let's dive in. Much of my life, I've dealt with anger. It kind of comes hand in hand with being an activist and caring about people. I was raised in the era of rage against the machine activism. And over the years, I had to explore that rage. You know, where does it come from? Should I squelch it? Should I embrace it? What happens if I do either? My wife is also an activist. We met doing very similar work. And and for much of her life, the experiences that we've had have led her to dealing with sadness. You know, I deal with anger. She deals with sadness. I think they're they're close, close cousins there. Um, in the end, we have to figure out how to navigate that space. You know, should we stifle those feelings, embrace them? What happens if we do? If we allow ourselves to feel these emotions and lean into them, how on earth can we expect to be positive beings? How can we expect to emanate positive energy if we're taking in so much negative energy? We know how that works. So how can we be an inspiration for peace if we're sad and angry? Can these emotions ever play a positive role in our lives? And how do I engage in empathy without dragging myself down, without being a source of negative energy? These are the things we're going to dive into today in this discussion about anger and about empathy, about the pain that we have to dive into to be truly empathetic the anger and the sadness that may derive from that experience. Here we go. We obviously live in quite interesting times in America right now. There's plenty to be saddened about, obviously. We just had the 2016 elections. (laughs) There's plenty to be sad or angry and or both about. Um, We understand the importance of energy when we engage in kind of entertaining certain emotions and things like that. And we certainly don't want to become a, we don't want to reflect the negative energy that we may be feeling in a certain situation. We don't want to bring that into a space. But I think that there is a balance somewhere. Uh, We have to find that healthy balance somewhere. And I think that's part of what our journey here is all about. So if someone, you know, if someone in your life, say, is causing stress or anger or, or whatever, some kind of negative emotion on a regular basis, it may be time for that person to just vibrate out of your life. And I think that you have to allow that to happen, kind of facilitate that process doesn't mean you even have to cut it off, you know, very deliberately or have some big conversation about it, which may in fact exacerbate that pain and anger. I think that sometimes we just need to walk away. I've certainly done that with different people in my life when I felt it appropriate 
And it was because those people were constantly bringing negativity into my life. And I was then kind of amplifying that out. I'm an amplifier by, by way of design. Uh, my wife kind of absorbs people's energy and takes it in. And I kind of take people's energy and amplify it out. So we have to be careful about the kind of energy that we are around. So when you need to move on, by all means, move on and surround yourself with more positive people, positive energy that inspire you. But we also have to remember that we can't cut ourselves off completely. We can't shut out all the negativity of the world. We aren't meant to be disconnected like that. I think we're meant to thrive through our innate interconnectedness. And that has some certain implications to it that are not always easy. But I think, well, for instance, I recently took a hiatus from social media. It was in September, I think, coming up to the, through the election period. And I realized the amount of negativity that was coming into my life because of the inundation of information from social media, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. And I realized I was taking that and amplifying it. I was taking that into my family dinner and talking about, you know, the evils and, <laughs> you know, the megalomaniac that we just elected as president. And at the time, <laughs> I, I wasn't actually thinking that was actually going to play through. I didn't think we'd elect him. But in the process, I was talking about all the dangers of electing Trump and what would happen, you know, in terms of our climate and so on and so on. And it was just, it consumed me. It became so much a part of my life. And I thought, you know what? I got to back down. I need a break. We took a break. It so happens it coincided with us uh, taking some time out at a, a friend's farm and spending some time out there where we had no internet and we had no, we were in the, you know, out in the sticks away from everybody else. So we didn't have a lot of outside influence and we were there for about two months. So in my deliberate efforts to, abstain from social media, news feeds, petitions, and all the other things I'm typically engaged with, and not even having internet at our fingertips. Wow. We, we really disconnected there for a minute, and we needed it. We needed to heal. We needed to regain our footing. Uh, it was healthy. It was a wise decision, and I'm glad I did it, and I'll probably do it again at some point, but I can't stay there. I can't stay completely cut off. I... I love people too much. <laughs> I can't just stay away from it all. So, you know, the question then comes, you know, how do I, how do I find that balance? How do I wade back in without getting sucked under? You know, some of that news, that negativity, it keeps me awake, keeps me on my toes. It keeps me in tune with the needs of humanity. So I need that. So the question then is, you know, how do I navigate that with balance? So as an activist, you know, over the years and, and, and you don't have to call yourself an activist. If you care about humanity, if you care about other people, you, it can be just the people in your family. If you really care about them, you're going to be hit with some element of sadness or anger or something at some point. So what do you do with it? Going back into my teenage years, uh, I mentioned Rage Against the Machine a minute ago. I was a huge fan and you know, went to the concerts and wore the t-shirts and, you know, covered their songs in my band, all that jazz. I was enamored with them. 
Why? Because they stood for something. They weren't just a band. They weren't just making music. They were talking about a revolution. They were saying, hey, the system is jacked and we need to stand up and resist certain elements of it and fight for the things that we believe in, to fight for peace, <laughs> which I realize the irony of that statement. We'll talk about that in a, another podcast episode. But I was going through this time where I was saying, you know, I was, I was craving revolutionaries. And in the mid-90s, we didn't have as many of them as we did in other times in history throughout the 60s and 70s and so on. So I was looking to rage, rage against the machine. And, you know, Zach De La Roca was up there spitting out the words that I felt so deeply inside me. And I was marching to MLK marches and volunteering for the American Indian movement. I was fighting against racism and exploitation of people all over the planet. And I was only 16 years old. And already that rage was starting to brew within me because I didn't really at that, you know, old age of 16, I didn't know how to navigate that space in a healthy way. I didn't know what to do with it. And a lot of it ate me up. Uh, a lot of it drove me into severe alcoholism later on in life, uh, not too much later than that 16-year-old. And I had a difficulty navigating it then, and I've had difficulty navigating it since. Uh, even in recent years, very recent years, I've gone through you know various uh, group sessions and therapy and counseling and, and things like that to try to help me navigate that space. What do I do with this anger that I feel towards the injustices of humanity and our planet? And I have had to explore it. I've had to realize, you know, where where does it come from? Like, what's the impetus of this? Where, what it, where is it deriving from? My therapist calls it righteous anger. God bless her. And it's a anger that derives from my deep love for humanity and the appreciation for this magical and extraordinary cosmos that we live in and we're all a part of. And when I see injustices towards that or people, you know, handling, mishandling those things or mistreating people or, you know, exploiting the land, I look at that and I think, you know, why? Why is this happening? Why does this have to happen? And I'm angry that it's happening. I, you know, I, when I see those elements of oppression, it impacts me on a soul level. I've never had a problem with empathy obviously. If anything, I've had a hard time preventing myself from being completely consumed by it. You know, that's been a constant issue. You know, I have no difficulty in feeling that energy of a person or a group or whatever. I walk in, I immediately can kind of connect with that energy and it's effortless. <laughs> and that's, that's been a real struggle for me at, at times because I didn't want to block that out, but I also, you know, don't always appreciate what it brings into my life when I have to deal with it. So there's been times that I've run from it. I have blocked it out. I blocked it out even through alcoholism and so on for, for years. And I didn't want to allow myself to feel that deeply. I remember sobbing you know, to my parents at times and saying, why? Why do I feel this so much? Why is this so loud in my soul? So I think, unfortunately, that a lot of that sentiment is sort of supported by our society. Hey, you know, don't worry about other people. Just worry about yourself. Don't get caught up in other people's feelings and their pain. Don't let that pain come into your world. Keep this pretty little box around you. 
this little shield that blocks out the negativity. That stuff's only going to bring you down. You don't need that. I get it. I do. I get it. But again, I want balance, not on or off. I do want to feel deeply. I'm grateful that I can. I'm grateful that empathy is so alive within me. And I see that as a gift, not a curse. There are times when my wife, who is just as in, in touch with her empathy as I am, she'll, she'll just be really torn up about something and crying about it and so on. And, and she'll say, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for feeling this way. I'm sorry for letting this consume me like this, whatever. And I think, wow, don't, don't be sorry for that. Lean into that. Don't feel, you know, bad about your empathizing with others. Don't feel bad that you're breaking under something that, you know, under a feeling that doesn't even, you know, for instance, if if it's, you know, the war in Syria or the refugee crisis or the ongoing institutionalized racism within the United States or the election of Donald Trump, who intends to perpetuate that, you know, what do we, we have all these things that are coming at us on a regular basis. Um, and when, you know, even during this election process, when, when the verdict came in in November, we, we mourned as a family. Now we have our glass half full perspective of that. And that it's sort of hard to, uh, ignore something as bombastic and ridiculous as Trump being our president. So I feel that might be our best way to wake people up and get them involved. I think that's the best we can hope for at the moment. Uh, and maybe that's just perfect and exactly what we needed. I think that all things belong, as Richard Rohr would say. Uh, but I, it doesn't change the fact that we felt that deep sadness of, wow, this just happened. Like, America elected this guy, or at least selected him. It wasn't necessarily the most democratic process. But it, he's now stepping in as our 45th president we feel a deep sadness about that and what it means for our planet, especially. And certainly the exploitation and oppression of other people. And, you know, being that we are in a mixed race family, this has even bigger implications on us. And I'm more concerned, not not necessarily with the fact that he's our president now, but with the fact that with the perspective of people that voted for him, that I don't think everyone that voted for Trump is a racist bigot or a climate change denier, (laughs) as absurd as all of that is. I don't think that. But I do think that they, the people that voted for him, even the ones, you know, on account of maybe the business acumen, which is very easily argued, or if it was the, you know, changing, you know, clearing out the swamp, as he said, and changing up the system. At the end of the day, even though they aren't, they may not be a racist bigot that doesn't care about our planet. I do think that they chose to, that they made a decision saying that that was, that was an okay concession for those things to come into our leadership and government. If it means that 
insert whatever the reason they did vote for him for. So they, they stepped back and said, okay, I'm not a racist. He is, but he's also for this, and I'm going to vote for that. Well, you voted for both. And that's a perspective that's most sad. So when we see these things happening around us, we are going to feel a certain emotion. And I, you know, I, I think we've, we've become very disconnected in society, and society has kind of allowed for that. They've said, oh, we're all connected now through the internet and whatever. And, and what it's allowed for is a superficial connection to, to uh, sort of justify our disconnectedness on a more personal level. So we say, oh, no, we're, I am really connected. I see all my social network stuff. And, and I'm saying, yeah, but when was the last time you sat down face-to-face with someone and had a deep conversation that was meaningful? You know, that kind of connection, that eye contact. My sister, Ashley Lockton, just wrote about that in her blog, mamasaysnamaste.com. Check it out. It's excellent words of wisdom. And she was talking about how, you know, how seldomly we engage in that face-to-face interaction. I've written about, you know, eye contact in the, in the past and how important that eye contact is. The point is that we've become disconnected and society seems to kind of say, that's okay, that's good. And what we're doing is we're breeding kind of a society of zombies, people that are just kind of cut off and disconnected. That isn't across the board, but I do see that trend happening. The unfortunate part of that is that, <laughs> well, maybe fortunate, we can't squelch completely that innate desire within us to connect with people to have that deep connection so it comes out in other ways so we we subconsciously sort of grasp for it often in negative ways unfortunately i remember years ago watching crash the the film i loved that film so i say and I remember thinking, you know, wow, this is so accurate, you know, and, and, and it so poetically articulates the way I feel about, you know, the world. Uh, there, there was one part in there, uh, the character Graham, played by Don Cheadle. I'm going to quote him here. He says, it's the sense of touch in any real city you walk. You brush past people and people bump into you. But in L.A., Nobody touches you. We're always behind this metal and glass. I think we miss that touch so much that we crash into each other just so that we can feel something. Such a powerful statement and realization. And I think it's true. We end up crashing into each other just so we can feel something. I remember in my depths of substance abuse, a lot of it was like even painful and just I wanted to feel something again because I had cut myself off so far from that source energy, from, the, from, the, uh, from humanity, from the planet even. I mean, I was so disconnected with nature at the time. That film, Crash, reminded me of how we are so disconnected kind of as a whole, as a society. And, and how important it is for us to be a champion for embracing our interconnectedness. Much of my teaching discussions have been about interconnectedness, uh, you know, prior to that for sure, and certainly even more so since seeing that film back in the day. So how do we not get bogged down in negativity? 
we know that we attract that type of energy, you know, that, that, you know, whatever we're emitting from us, we're attracting more towards us. That's that law of attraction. So we don't want to do that. You know, how, how do we stay positive? Here's the thing. Those feelings in us bubble up for a reason. You know, we, we tend to say, ah, oh, that feeling came up in me. I, I shouldn't feel that. Maybe. Maybe you should. Maybe that's an indicator of something you should be paying attention to. Maybe it's a, it's a sign that comes up, says, hey, red flag, you need to be looking over here. But then if we, if, if we squelch those feelings, we miss out on that. You know, we're, we are interconnected to everything. As Carl Sagan says, we're all star stuff. We came from the same stuff that the stars and the cosmos came from. All of us not just the select few at the top. And if we deny that, we are out of alignment, I think, with how we are designed. And, you know, when we're out of alignment in one area like that, especially poor area like that, everything else tends to be out of alignment as well. If we shut out the elements of life that bring us sadness and anger, or are likely to in some way, we fail to engage in that full human experience. We have to allow ourselves to feel. And, and, and I think to feel deeply. If you're angered at something or by something and you choose to stifle that anger, it's likely going to turn into rage and maybe even violence. If you're you know, sad about something and you stifle that, that sadness could turn into some deep depression or even mild depression. Neither are preferable to happiness. <laughs> so we have a, a reality that we need to understand. Like if we don't allow ourselves to feel these things, what are we setting ourselves up for? If you don't allow yourself to get carried away for a moment in that feeling, you're opting out of this vital element of being human. I think we need to lean into it. Feel that pain. My brother-in-law, uh, Nathan Logston, he just went through some difficult times with his family, suffice it to say. And he kept saying, I got to lean into it, brother. I got to lean into it. Because he knows well enough to know that if he didn't, it was going to eat him up. Maybe not now, maybe not next year, but sometime it was going to eat him up. And it certainly wasn't going to help the rest of the family either. So... He just kept leaning in, leaning in, and man, did he handle that with grace. Just amazing patience and grace. we got to lean into these things. We have to view those feelings not as some negative thing that's come into our life that we have to immediately get out, but as a vessel, uh, uh, like a, um, an indicator, a sign that is meant to evoke something vital within us, to remind us to align with love, to remind us of our interconnectedness. I remember in moments of exasperation saying, I, usually in a therapy session, I don't want my anger to go away. I don't want my rage to dissipate. And I remember my therapist, again, God bless that woman, done wonders in my life but I, I she said don't 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 let it go away don't stifle it lean into it feel it 
it's part of you. And for me, that is, you know, that's specific to me. Not everyone has that scenario. My wife doesn't have this. She doesn't get rageful about things. I don't think ever really. Uh, but we all have kind of our tendency in one direction or another. And I think that as we allow those feelings to move through us, to, as we permit ourselves to engage with it, then we can kind of toil with it. We can kind of examine it. We can say, what does this mean? How does this, how can I use this? It's an emotion that came to me. It exists. I have to believe that things that exist in this world, if they're in existence, I have to believe there's a purpose for it. And that's, that's tough, I know. And, and again, that's kind of fodder for another discussion, a deep discussion. But the one element of that is that the feelings we feel exist for a reason. Think about this. Imagine Martin Luther King, one of our heroes. Do you think he was absent of anger? Certainly not. I would imagine he was likely raging inside. We have some kind of, you know, I think there's some private reporting of that, uh, some instances of that where he was angry. But on the whole, he was obviously one of the greatest bastions of peace we've ever had in history. That's what made him so extraordinary. It was his resolve to being that vessel of peace and patience amidst such grand oppression and injustice. That's what made him amazing, remarkable. He had every right at that point to lash out in violence to match the energy of his oppressors and that of the black community in general. But here's the heroic part. Here's what made him so remarkable. He stood in the face of hate, and judgment, and injustice. And he opened that door in his soul that allowed him to feel deeply. He empathized so deeply with his brothers and sisters that were watching, watching as their families were, you know, people were being lynched in the front yard and crosses were burning and bricks were going through windows. And he allowed his mind to go there. I think it's reasonable to understand that he himself was, was more protected from a lot of that. He didn't, at the time anyway, didn't experience all of that to the extent that the people around him were experiencing he was more protected and shielded from some of that. But that did not stop him from tapping into deep empathy for understanding everything that people were going through around him in terms of actual things that were happening. And he certainly, obviously, experienced great oppression himself. He allowed his mind to go there to that dark place. And he used that pain as fuel. He used it to give him the strength to stand in the gap and to champion their freedom. He transmuted that anguish and rage into something more powerful than we could have ever imagined. He transmuted it into love and grace. 
He used it to become a greater force for peace. Not to allow him to sink deep into rage or depression. He took it and he used it. Now, imagine if MLK, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Mandela, whoever, now we can say pretty much whoever in this space, had shut themselves off from empathizing and feeling the pain of the people that they set out to serve. How on earth could they have withstood the forces that came against them? How could they have had the strength to be the force for peace when they had so much justification to rage? Think about the things that Mother Teresa did and all the things coming against her and all the things that didn't work out and she just kept going. And obviously the same for all the others that I mentioned. You know, Mandela in prison for all those years and thinking, okay, come on, what gives? I I get it, I'm (laughs) martyring myself to some degree, but at some point I gotta get out of here. You know, and 30 some years later, he's like, whoa, I'm still here. But he used it. They are regarded as our heroes now because they didn't do what was expected, what would have been the easy button. They didn't do that. They could have justified, you know, going another direction than what they did. Because it was, it was like, okay, well, that's the expected. That's the easy way to go. Of course they would do that. But they didn't. In the Lakota Sioux tradition, the elders would always remind the young boys that the best leaders never do the easy, expected thing. They always choose the path less traveled. They always choose the high road. They don't boast or brag. They remain humble even when they could revel in their victories. This was certainly true of someone like Crazy Horse, who remained remarkably humble, especially considering his stature as a warrior, protector, people, one of probably the greatest ever. Yet, he remained probably the most humble as well. He didn't do the easy thing. He didn't do what was expected. We see that with that. That's the difference between the, you know, the black road and the red road and the code tradition. Black road's easy. It's it's, you do the expected things, but it's not fulfilling. It's not taking you towards your higher self. The red road, difficult as it may be. You know, that that's where you're going to find the fulfillment. So I, I think that, you know, as a researcher, as a studier, a student of history, science, and, and so on, I'm always looking at things and asking, you know, what's the purpose of this? You know, and I, and I think that as I've, you know, researched that in, in terms of my own feelings and emotions... I, I believe that I, you know, that, that the purpose of these negative feelings like sadness and anger is to serve as the fuel that we need to drive us closer to our higher self. It strengthens our resolve. It's, it's like, uh, for me, let's just say for me specifically in this example, the rage that I feel 
about certain things because I'm an amplifier and I'm going to take any anger and immediately amplify it into this rageful emotion. I look at that rage not as something that I need to stifle, but as something that I need to channel appropriately because it can be used like protein for our, you know, for my spiritual, emotional muscle, muscles. If I feel deeply enough, if I've allowed myself to tune in to that sadness or that anger or that rage or whatever, to let it move through me, if I let it move through me, and I don't sit in it, I don't wallow in it, but I let it move through me, and then I deliberately transmute that energy into strength and resolve, man, I, I can do anything. I'm fully alive, fully engaged, embracing in my interconnectedness, aligned with the divine. I see so much of society trying to shut out pain. Don't allow pain in. And you have to do something about it. You have to toil with it. You have to go to therapy. You, you know, you, you get depressed, you get angry, whatever. Just shut it out. I don't think that that's the way we were meant to be. I don't think that that is us being fully alive and fully human. When we, when we shut out the pain around us, when we shut out the emotions that we might feel, and we hold back those tears. We hold back that feeling of exhaustion that comes along with the sadness or the anger. We don't allow for it. We don't make space for it. It's not efficient. It's not socially acceptable. But I think that the pain, that pain that we allow in, that there, that creates this little hole, this little window in our soul. And I think that's where God enters. If we cover up that hole, we don't let anything in. How can we ever truly experience the ineffable power of God, which is that ultimate force of love? We can't block that out. We can't cover up that hole. In our family, our practice at this point is to keep the door open, to allow ourselves, you know, a certain amount of exposure to the world, to allow that world news to enter our lives, you know, and we're, we're choosy about what we engage with. You know, we we're choosy about what we let into our minds. But we, we know what's going on in politics in America. Politics, you know, that's not a sexy word, but it's, it's how we organize ourselves as a society. And I think we need to be engaged with that. We need to be deliberate about that. I look at what's going on in Syria and what's going on in Israel and what's going on with the United States being involved with 22 wars, at least, across the world right now. That's deeply saddening. And for me, I know that we know better. We can do better. We simply choose not to as a country at this point. And that makes me angry. So I don't, I don't want to keep my head in the sand, as they say. 
I can't just go live in a teepee out on the plane like I'd like to do sometimes. I would never be fulfilled. I would never be happy that way, truly. Certainly a level of happiness, but I need humans in my life. I need the contrast and friction of deep relationships. I need the awareness of what's going on in our world. I need to watch a documentary on the United States prison system and institutionalized racism or climate change or whatever it is to remind myself of our interconnectedness and that what's happening to someone else across the world is happening to me. And it reminds me to remain engaged, to allow myself to feel these feelings, to study them, to toil with them, to allow them to impact us and allow ourselves to deeply empathize with the people and the planet that we care so much about. We have to lean into those feelings of sadness and anguish and anger and rage and allow them to move us on a soul level. It's so important to feel, to feel deeply. That's, I think, where we experience God. That's where we experience humanity. I don't believe that we... I don't, I don't view God as an object to be worshipped necessarily. I view God as this ineffable force that moves within all of us. And I experience God through the act of loving others, through the act of appreciation of this extraordinary cosmos that we live in. And when I allow myself to feel those deep, deep feelings, I am deliberate about not dwelling there, about letting it move through me and out of me, about thinking about it and, and, and uh, letting it process. And then actively, intentionally, fervently working, doing the work to transmute those negative feelings into deepening my practice of patience, grace, love, and peace. I think that's why they're there. To move us towards that. Those feelings are there for a reason. And if we dampen them or squelch them, we're missing out on that. We're missing out on the purpose that they serve. I believe our capacity to be a champion for peace is equal to our willingness to allow ourselves to empathize and feel deeply. If you care about peace, if you care about being love, as we say so often on this show, I think you have to be willing to allow yourself to empathize, to feel deeply, 
to let these emotions in and to work with them and then to use them. All right. Heavy stuff, but so important, I think. So important. And so neglected, I think, by society so often. We have social agreements that sort of say, hey, it's okay to block this stuff out. Just concentrate on your Facebook account. You'll be all right. But I don't think that's how we were designed. I think we're missing something when we do that. So I say, allow yourself to feel deeply. Let it move through you. Let the pain of life remind you of how to align with love. Let it remind you of our interconnectedness. Because someone out there is being oppressed and you're able to send them that energy of love through prayer, through meditation, through intention, through lifestyle. We're all part of this. There's nothing happening that isn't connected to you in some way. If nothing else, through an energetic level. Let those feelings in and let them remind you that you have a lot more power to impact the world than what you usually give yourself credit for. We are interconnected and our feelings serve a vital purpose, a vital role in our lives. But we have to be willing to let them in, willing to embrace them, and willing to turn them into something beautiful. Thank you so much for holding a space for love and freedom with us today. If you appreciate the Anipi ethos and want to help inspire others to align with love, I hope you'll share this podcast with those you care about, and maybe even some you don't. Listen and rate us on iTunes. Those reviews and ratings, they help us grow the audience. And without that, it's tough to grow. So I hope that you will help us out there. If you want to make a little investment in learning about some of the social maladies of our nation, check out the most recent Rage Against the Machine installment of Prophets of Rage. It's uh, their latest tour, and they're touring with uh, Chuck D from Public Enemy and Be Real from Cypress Hill, all people that I grew up listening to. Pretty spectacular ensemble. And they are touring around. They have done their own little spin on Trump's Make America Great Again, and they are saying, Make America Rage Again. That's their slogan. Uh, And I... I think that there's a time to rage. If you're not upset or angry about some of the things that are going on, man, you're asleep. Don't be asleep. This show is about consciousness. <laughs> we want to be awake. So let it in. Let it th- let it let it roll through you. I think that there's a time to get up and get angry about what's going on. It doesn't mean we need to sit there. It doesn't mean we need to burn things down. We need to, you know, be involved through nonviolent resistance, through boycotting products and things like that. But we need to be awake. We need to be engaged. We need to feel. On our next episode, incidentally, I'm going to be talking about 
being involved in the ways that we organize as a society and about politics and social agreements and activism and resistance and so on and all these other things that make people feel really uncomfortable a lot. If that makes you feel uncomfortable, I hope you'll listen. I know so many wonderful people that are out there, uh, you know, that are great, loving people, but they're so cut off from that kind of interconnected lifestyle of engaging with issues and, and things that matter in their community and in their country and even in their families to some degree. And they're failing to realize that profound opportunity available to them in serving others. So next week, we're going to dive deep into that one. And I hope you'll join me. I wish you peace on your journey. May you align with love and let your life speak. We talk with you, yes. <laughs>